Hello, and thanks for joining the latest edition of the SAP Concur Conversations podcast series. Today, we're going to be discussing the topic of implementing a new technology solution and also looking to whether there are different options out there to suit every company. To help me with this podcast, I've got two great experts to welcome. Firstly, Gogan Sharma from SAP Concur and also Paul Carr from EY. Gogan, can you introduce yourself and tell people about your role at SAP Concare and also what you're most looking forward to when the various steps of lockdown are eased? Fingers crossed. Yeah, sure. Thank you, Alistair. Uh, so my full name is Gogan Sharma. I'm the services director for SAP Concare. Uh, I've been with the company for about 14 years. Um, so my whole life literally has been implementation here. Um, my responsibility really is to oversee the implementation across our customers in the UK and Ireland. And what am I most forward to looking at? Um, getting back to some normality. <laughs> so just before lockdown, it was really hectic. Um, and it was all about putting dates in the diary, going out. And there were just days where I yearned just to kick back on the sofa and put my feet up. And now it's just the opposite. I just can't wait to get out there and socialize and meet up with lots of different people. Absolutely. Normality. <laughs> agree, agree. Well, from my perspective, it's, it's getting a haircut um, for those of you who <laughs> can see. Um, so um, thanks for that, Gogan. Uh, Paul, same questions over to you. Thanks, Ali. Um, so my name is Paul Carr. I'm an associate partner at EY. Um, I've spent over 25 years in IT and business consulting. Uh, I'm an ex-Concurian, having been the consulting manager for Europe at Concur um, from 2001 to 2005. Um, I've spent many years working with companies, implement systems of different types, as well as working on more transformation of late. Um, what I'm looking forward to actually is returning back to in-person meetings with my scout group, um, doing a whole term or two or being virtual and uh, doesn't really quite cut it. So being able now when we resume after the Easter vacation in face to face meetings uh, and seeing them run around, especially with the weather being good, is going to be uh, so much more enjoyable. And <laughs> I don't have to worry about a haircut. <laughs> <laughs> well, fingers, fingers crossed for the weather. Definitely. Um, thank you both for that. And, and wow, I think we've got a wealth of knowledge there. I think if my math's correct, we've got about 39 years of, uh, of insight there. Um, so that's, that's a great start. Um, before we get into the actual topics, uh, can you both give a short explanation of what implementation means to you? Uh, Paul, I'll come to you first, please. Sure. Um, so implementation to me can mean a multitude of different things but in in a context of it it's around implementing a solution whether it's a commercial off the shelf whether it's a homegrown or whether it's a full-scale deployment of uh, a major system or even um, a business transformation that has multiple systems that need to go in to support the business so implementation really is in a nutshell, getting something new into an organization and being used by the business to help the business grow and thrive. Yeah, okay, makes, makes perfect sense. Um, Gogan, over to you, anything different or a different view? Uh, no, I think um, pretty much similar to, to Paul. Uh, for me, it's all about journey. 
Uh, so a journey where a team can come together and look to accomplish an end result um, and, and bringing that uh, plan and journey um, to life. So really just like creating a reality out of a plan to achieve a goal. Okay. Makes sense. Makes sense. Okay. That's a great, imp um, a great start into the, my next question. So uh, I'll come to you, Gogan. Um, why is it important to consider the delivery or implementation of a new technology solution upfront before you maybe even start looking for vendors? Yeah, I think it's um, all about success. So aiming for that success and in order to, to aim for success, you need to ensure that you're you're actually looking at the right vendors to pick that right vendor for you. Um, so there's a number of things that really you should be looking at. Um, and it's a bit similar to, let's say, use an analogy here, buying a new car. Um, so if I was a family of four, um, or I was a family of four and suddenly moved to like a family of five or six, and I need a new car, I need a family car. I'm not going to straight away just go out and start looking at sports cars or, or two seaters, <laughs> because that is just going to be a complete bomb out. It's a failure. Um, so it's about taking a step back and making sure you understand the why. Why do you need something? What do you need it for? And what does that look like for you? Um, so it's all about um, the planning for success. Okay, that makes that makes perfect sense. Um, Paul, over to you. Does does that ring true as well? I look at it in a slightly different way. I like the analogy. I'd probably be one of those people, and I did unfortunately go off and look at saying, well, me and my wife both drive, so I'll go and look at the two-seater sports car. Uh, <laughs> but um, no, so I look at it slightly differently. I think in terms of, and picking up on Gogan's point earlier around the journey, it's really around the level of expertise or knowledge you have within the business to see whether or not the solution that you're implementing or the change that you're implementing, whether you've got the expertise, knowledge and availability of those resources to support the actual implementation or the transformation or transition that you want to make. Because if you don't have the people internally, but you know that what you're looking to try and achieve um, is of importance to the business, that's when you start to look at external suppliers for support in one capacity or another because it may be easier to buy in that support that capacity or that expertise um, than try and rearrange resources internally because some engagements can take a significant amount of time and pull people away from their core business so for me it's really around looking at what is it that we want to implement what is it we want to change do we have the right people and capability internally and if not we then need to start thinking about the process of procuring that expertise capability capacity from um, an external supplier and that could be in the terms of a software solution the actual software vendor themselves or it could be from an implementation partner um, in the marketplace that may be able to bring that expertise and potentially more yeah that's a great point around the expertise, Paul, and that actually links into my next question. So I'll 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 stick with you. Um, aside from the expertise point, what are the main or the top three considerations for a business thinking about implementing a new solution over and above what you've mentioned? So I think that for me, what I've really seen is this big transition now and change from um, 
ownership and the reasons behind implementing to be focused now more on employee experience. So a lot of the systems and a lot of changes that are being implemented are being driven now more by employee experience. Um, and as technology has moved along, um, it's also one of the things around how does, so em employee experience is one of the first things that people are starting and companies are starting to look at. The next one is how does this operationally improve and make my business more efficient? What is there that I can automate? And then the third one that I'm seeing is how do I revert to standard? How do I remove the need for customizations? What solutions are there out there that can be configured over developed, um, especially if it's for a core business function or a core business process where you're trying to make life easier? So the three of those things go together in terms of employee experience operational efficiency and it's a configurable easy to main solution maintain solution yeah perfect um gogan over to you would you agree with paul's points there or anything to add to that mix yeah um, i think totally around the employee experience um is definitely considering the users up front um, in terms of when you're you're implementing and um, because at the end of the day you know they they are the the main experience of, of the new technology um, and they need to work with it um, on a whether it be a daily basic or, or periodic um, so thinking about them having them at the the center um, would definitely be uh, beneficial um, in addition to that um, I think really about probably the cost and the the return on investment as well um, so making sure, you know, when you're thinking about implementing a new new solution, what is it going to give back to you? Um, is it what you're trying to aim for? Is it is it beneficial? Do you have the budget for it? Um, how quickly can you get that return of investment? And also the time that you're going to be able to spend across it. So time is a real key factor, especially when it comes to implementing new solutions. Um, is that it's important to allocate the right time and sufficient time. Uh, we've often seen customers that um, have, I wouldn't say unrealistic, maybe Im maybe imaginative um, timelines. Um, and it's almost- They want like, to now. <laughs> well, yeah, or yesterday. Yesterday probably is the right one. <laughs> um, and I think they underestimate that time. And in the end, either timelines get stretched, costs get stretched, um, or perhaps you end up with, with a solution that wasn't exactly where you wanted to be at the end of it. Yeah. Okay. And that's an interesting point to move on to, actually, um, that, you've, that you've maybe got a view on, Gogan, is that how has software as a service changed implementations and solution delivery as a whole? Or maybe to look at it a different way, how, how quickly has the world changed maybe during the pandemic um, from a digital transformation perspective, that kind of thing? Yeah, sure. Um, I think if we look at COVID um, in particular, uh, what you know, uh, who would have thought that we'd ever be in in this position? And I think it's definitely forced the change. No one had expected to be at home for such a long time, and having to work um, remotely in our houses um, or even some gardens, you know, when it were, when it was hot. Um, so with that in mind, it's forced people to change their mindsets. Uh, mindsets have developed. Um, you know, when I used to work in the office, there were many people that were, oh no, you can't work from home. 
you know, how, how are we going to do that? We, we need to be in the office. No, it's just it's just not sustainable. Um, but the last year, year and a half um, has shown us that it's doable. And why is it doable? And partly down to SAS. So SAS, I think, has been in our um, daily lives in terms of remote working. So if we take conferencing tools as an example, so audio meetings, <laughs> video meetings, etc. Um, more people have been directed to these products. Um, so increase in products um, have gone up. It's becoming an acceptable trend to work at home and use these. Companies that develop this software are becoming into a competitive market. They're having to innovate a lot quicker. There's a high demand for such digital solutions. Um, and in addition to that, it's um, brought people more to the cloud. They can have centrally hosted systems. People can assess them in their own homes. You can have multiple users at a time. Um, in addition to that, where I think companies have been moving to some of these products because they've had to have the facilities whilst working during COVID, they've also begun to recognize some cost savings, um, especially where maybe they were used to kind of on-premise um, license fees. With cloud, you move to subscription-based models, thus reducing cost. Yeah. I think it's been a, a massive shift in the way people work and implementation specifically must be impacted. So, uh, Paul, over to you, a, a similar question, but linked to remote implementations. Are they more work for the customer? I mean, and maybe touch on pre and post COVID if you've got any insights on that side. Yeah, so I think what I'd like to just backtrack on slightly in the early question that you asked Gogan around SAS, I think the the challenge has been for SaaS is that it works for certain business processes or certain parts of um, an organization. And so, I mean, and the shift to remote working has been a great example where collaboration tools, um, which have been out in the cloud, have been quicker to deploy. They've always been there. I mean, we know of certain tools by big software vendors have always been there in one form or another, but have corporations really taken them on board for communications? <clears throat> in part, yes, but not fully. However, COVID then managed to accelerate this path and suddenly the barriers came down because they found that specifically for professional services organizations or other heavily office-based organizations, they needed to keep on going and they could, but they needed to deploy a set of collaboration tools to keep people connected. So they were already there. It's just that the acceleration to adoption became a lot quicker because of COVID. Um, but I think it's, there's been an underlying trend in terms of companies looking at their whole on-premise real estate of systems and looking to see how they can lighten the load on-premise and utilize more SaaS-based solutions and move away from customization again to configuration. Um, so that's starting to now really build up. You, you, you start to see though some challenges come in with um, the shift from on-premise to, to SaaS or to cloud uh, because there's concerns about data depending on the type of system that you're utilizing. So collaboration tools, people are slightly more comfortable about it, in, in my view, because there's not a great deal of data out there. It's encrypted channels and it's down to the software providers and the companies hosting it. But when you start moving into something that might have an employee's HR record in there, there's a lot more 
concern over that security. However, the, the shift is moving towards it. And again, COVID has been an accelerator to moving more and more to SaaS solutions, which then leads to this interesting thing and the question you're asking around implementation of solutions and delivering it remotely. Um, it's been a necessity to implement solutions remotely. And even during an implementation, there's always been an element of remote delivery. You know, there are organizations which have had great big teams of people offshore or nearshore, but not on the client site that have been configuring or coding or doing other work, depending on the system. So there's always been that element, but it's going into a full remote implementation of full project management, full change management, training, you know, delivery of end user materials and getting them to on board to a system. That's been quite a significant change. Has it worked well? In most cases, it has. Again, it depends on the type of system or that you're implementing because some of them are far more user-friendly. They, they focus on that employee experience. So it's a far more uh, consumer-grade experience for an end user, and they manage to pick up things a lot quicker. But other things might have been more challenging to deliver fully remotely. <clears throat> Um, and you also lose out on some of that human interaction side when you are delivering um, a solution in collaboration and actually in the same room with people or being able to manage issues or risks that come up in a more real time rather than scheduling a call. So remote implementation, there is success there and areas can be delivered far more successfully than others. I, I still feel that you know, the, the need for in-person collaboration and, you know, real-time um, intervention is probably, you know, the thing that we're missing and, and have struggled to overcome. Yeah. So I guess there's, well, as you were saying, there's, there's good points and bad points. And because of the pandemic, things have been forced into one direction. But there's, there's nothing like human contact um, and to chat to someone face-to-face. Especially, um, especially in the early days, because uh, I mean, again, you asked me for an example. So an example mm -hmm. I can give you is um, we were working on an implementation um, for a large utilities company and it all started pre-COVID. Um, so we were doing some great face-to-face -face workshops, requirements gathering, you know, getting everything documented, agreed. And then after that, restrictions came in and then we had to go to full remote delivery um i'm not sure how <clears throat> how it i mean it was a success it went live client extremely happy as part of the, uh, an overall program you know everything went to the timelines a, a bit touch and go at points but you know that requirements gathering um element i'm not sure how we would have been able to, to manage it in a full remote session because it's it's trying to keep people's attention in mm. a workshop that's just being run virtually um you know it, it's mixed results i feel there's some delays in there i mean i don't know whether or not gogan that's something that you're seeing more frequently from implementations of sap concur yeah i mean I'll, i suppose I'm, I'm slightly biased that 90 percent of my work is remote implementation um, but I think it, 
some of that does ring true in the sense of there, there still is a need um, for some on sites. Um, for me, it's depending on, I think, the scale or complexity of the project that you're running um, in terms of where you need that kind of face to face um, interaction, um, getting down to, to detail. It certainly helps, you know, if you've got a, a big problem to solve in terms of design or something complicated that being able to do face to face seeing body language um, to be able to interpret what people are saying you know getting the whiteboards out you know it is true that some of the video conferencing you have the faci facilities to do the whiteboard um, but it's not as fruitful i would say in my experience in terms of you know being with some of those companies that have gone through um through those cycles so, Gokum, that's that's a really really interesting point around the the remote implementation. But I guess the next stage on from that links to my next question, which is around multi-country or multi-solution implementation. I know it's kind of a, 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 a an unwieldy question, but you can use examples if you want. But link back to remote working. Have you got a, a viewpoint on that? Yeah, I think what I was just saying earlier, really, around um, the fact that you know ninety percent of our work is. Um, remote implementation. I think it's just beneficial being able to connect with different people, um, but also being able to connect with different countries across the same day. Um, so, for example, you know, if, if we had everyone travel um, into one location, but you know, you were focusing on one country first and then the next country, it's almost like the, the other people in that room may be redundant. Um, so, it's just splitting it out across the the space of the day and um, really maximizes the time. Yeah. And and moving on to, to Paul, I'm sure you've got lots of experience with your <laughs> 25 years in um, multi-country or multi-solution implementation. Have you got uh, any words of wisdom on that side? Uh, so I think, so let's, let's take um, a view on single solution, multi-country uh, mm -hmm. as a starting point. So a single solution, multi-country, um, and the remote working element to it, it still holds true from, you know, pre-COVID to COVID that, you know, if, if the solution that you've selected is a configurable product, then remote working, you can do that from effectively, if we looked at a traditional methodology, project methodology from sort of the, the halfway through design to build, test, deploy, you can do all of that work remotely. Um, it's, it's the analysis and design that you really need to be able to get the people from the countries together. Now, pre-COVID, uh, the way that we would approach this is we would get the key stakeholders to meet at a particular location um, and have a workshop and have all of the participants together in a room to then work out the design to understand the requirements uh, that they have to, to play it back and, and basically get everything done in a compressed amount of time. So typically I've run workshops that have been around three to four days in duration, but I've covered every single element that we needed to cover with the, with the solution that's to be implemented. Um, in a COVID world it's now been a case of you end up doing multiple iterations of the same workshop because it's very difficult to coordinate especially if you're dealing with 
countries that are in different time zones as part of an implementation wave um, to be together. So you'll go through and do things and repeat them. So your analysis and design or that workshopping is spread over a much broader space of time. But then, as I said, once you've got those requirements done, captured, once you've got them agreed and signed off by the business, going into the build and test, um, you can sort of catch up on a bit of time. But there's an extra layer of coordination required because you're then having to deal with a lot more uh, project management, um, risk management. There's a lot more overhead that starts to come in with potentially the remote working in a multi-country implementation of a singular solution. When you're dealing with a implementation of multiple solutions, so again, the, the particular project I alluded to earlier, um, this was for, for two markets, two, two countries, but it was a combination of S4 HANA uh, finance, it was uh, SA, elements of SAP success factors, plus SAP Concur, and they all had to go live at a particular date. And the, and the thing that drove that was the S4 HANA implementation, because that being the digital core of this business, mm -hmm. that was the key thing that everything had to go live on. Um, again, with that particular engagement, everything started remote, started in person with workshops, et cetera, et cetera, and then went, had to shift to full remote delivery. And there was a lot more scheduled calls to take place, but you had much bigger teams and the client definitely needed the support and engagement of uh, an external partner to effectively manage what was, a, was multiple work streams because you had the work stream that was focused just on S4HANA and everything that needed to be delivered for that. Plus then you had the work stream to deliver the success factors implementation, plus the work stream to deliver the SAP Concur work stream, plus the program management and governance on top of it to make sure it all happened and was delivered at the same time. Uh, and they engaged, the, this particular engagement had multiple partners supporting them deliver elements in different areas as well as their own, own, own internal resources. But everybody was re working remotely um, because that project had to be delivered. Uh, and yeah. the window that was set was a very specific window for it to go live. So it w everyone adapted, but there yeah. was some long I guess in that situation, you, you have to adapt um, going down that route um, with the multiple implementations. One, one question that, um, as you were talking there, Paul, um, that springs to mind is around the company size. So in that example, you were talking about um, there are many different stakeholders. Um, if the company was still doing a similar implementation, but the actual company size was smaller, do you think things would have been quicker and easier if there would be less stakeholders involved? Or am I just talking rubbish? Um, no, no, I, I, it depends. So an, another example uh, I can give you is a, a small company um, that we worked with. And, and in fact, this is a company that we worked in collaboration with the SAP Concur with on their implementation. Um, it was still, it was a multi-country implementation, right? So even though it was a small organization, it was still a multi-country implementation. Mm -hmm. um, and you have stake, you had, we had the central stakeholder and governance from, from the UK, which was the head office, but there was the engagement of the people in the US, the people in Japan, 
that needed to be brought on board, but the decision making was still within the UK. So it was a lot, it was a lot quicker um, to implement, um, but there were still multiple stakeholders. And again, you've got the stakeholders from within HR, especially when you're looking at, if we're being very specific, if you're looking at travel and expense management, mm-hmm. you're still looking at the stakeholders from HR. Um, in this case, we also had payroll. Um, you also had finance, you also had treasury, you had IT, um, you had also the, the, the sponsor. Um, so I don't think any size, the, the size of company would change things particularly or the number of sponsors that are there. Obviously, the mm-hmm. fewer there are, potentially the better and quicker it can be um, because there's going to be other factors that will come into play around what type of business or organization the company is and what windows they have for implementation and also their approach to implementation as well. That's something that really has to be taken into consideration uh, along with the culture of the organization you're working with. Some people will go, let's go, let's just get this in there uh, and not worry about others and others will take a more measured approach and say, well, we've got to think about everything and make sure we make a measured decision on how we approach an implementation. Yeah, I guess one of the key takeaways, which from Gogan you've been talking and, and Paul as well, is I hate to use the phrase that it depends, but it's it's not one size fits all from a company perspective, depending what each company wants to do. Um, so Gokum, just quickly coming to you, similar um, question around company size, but I want to touch on templates, that lovely mm-hmm. word that we all love to hate. But um, do do you use templates do you advise companies to look at following a, a templated path to implementation yeah so many of our implementations will look to to utilize templates um and i think also just coming back to some of paul's points around you know mm-hmm. the types of um you know whether it's remote or on-site deliveries um i think what you're implementing is also key. Um, so you know, if we're following something that is looking at templates, um, and you know, your core solution has already been built for you, it makes it a lot easier to run with things like remote implementations, even if those are spread across multi countries. Um, where we're looking at, you know, for customizations um, or single built kind of s- solutions, uh, then yeah, you know, your face to face airtime will be a lot better. Um, when it comes to templates, they're really beneficial, I think, where customers are looking to to standardize the way that they work um, and, and taking templates that are tried and tested. Um, so, you know, why invent something new when you have something that has already been proven to work? Um, so looking at tried and tested so, uh, templates that look to be repeatable. So if you're rolling out to multi um, countries, you know, do you have a repeatable solution that you can use? And all you're looking to do really is tweak those templates um, where your perhaps your unique business requirements come into play. Um, and then the the other add-on I guess you have on that is looking at maintenance. So it's a lot easier to maintenance um, when you you go with templates and standardisation. Um, but like I say, I, I am probably biased because that's that's what we use. Um, <laughs> I think you know it. It always there's no right or wrong answer. It always comes down to what you are trying to achieve, and you know also you know what vendor are you going with? Um, because whilst one vendor might have templates and and 
you're able to uh, repeat those with many countries, are they also offering everything else that you need? Mm, yeah. Um, okay, that all makes sense. I'm um, just picking up on one point you mentioned, Gogan, because um, I'm I'm not the expert. That's why I'm talking to both of you. You mentioned maintenance. Um, is that maintenance of the project, or can you just explain what you mean by that? Uh, yeah. So maintenance of your of your system. Right. Um, so probably considering things like um, administrators. So people that maintain the system, educating mm -hmm. them, making it an easier process for them. Um, that, you know, when you're looking at using those templates, um, they only then are really looking at the areas that they are unique for their customer. Right. Uh, sorry, yeah. unique business requirements, unique for them. Oh. Um, the templates in terms of um, the vendor pushing out updates um, obviously makes it easier for, for the vendor because there's no customizations. Um, it's less R&D, less development, less time for them to do that. Yeah. Okay, brilliant. Thanks for that explanation. Really useful. Um, Paul, just finishing off with yourself, um, any, any words of wisdom on templates or are they too inflexible from your perspective? Uh, no, no. Yeah, uh, on the contrary. Um, but it really depends on the maturity of the solution that you're implementing. So if the solution is mature, well established in the market and has defined parameters around it, then templates are the easiest way to go from a technical configuration of the solution. Um, what you need to be careful of is the business process. So what is the business process? What is the business requirements that you're looking to fulfill? And then can the solution itself be configured to meet that requirement? Because the templates are really there to help guide the person who's going to then configure uh, the, the solution that you're implementing, right? So the screens, the fields, the workflow, um, you know, other elements of what's being offered. Um, what I do find it kind of interesting is that we do all this work in the project, we create all of this documentation and everything else, and then it gets handed over. Uh, and I'm sure it just collects digital cobwebs in a corner because <laughs> although the system might be updated and, and, and when it is a SaaS solution and there are updates that are pushed out, I'm not 100% convinced people really go back and update those documents from the project implementation or those templates that have been created to make sure it is a, still a true and accurate reflection of what's actually being configured. But that could just be my cynical point of view on it. <laughs> um, never, Paul, never. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, templates are definitely um, beneficial from, from a technical implementation perspective, um, especially um, again, with, with a solution that is mature and established in the market and um, where things do not really change significantly over time, it makes it easier um, for an implementation partner to be able to then guide a client through those templates. Um, and also from our perspective, you know, in a role that we play in an implementation with a client, being more full service in terms of its, you know, it is a full project management. We can actually then build the technical interfaces, 
based upon the templates of the FAR formats as an example of what's expected for the incoming system and what the system will throw out. Um, yeah. Those become invaluable parts of the toolkit. Um, but again, a lot of the design is still around what is the business process, what is the business requirement, what are we looking to achieve, and then how can we get that solution configured to meet that and have that documented in, in the templates. Um, yeah. And I guess and it's a case of, um, oh, sorry, Paul, carry on. No, and then from there on in, it makes it easy to then also go into the next phase of your testing because you'll have your business requirements, you'll have your technical requirements all documented into the, the, the template so you know what you're expecting. So it then means it's easier to test against uh, before you deploy it. So, you know, this is what we said we want. We've tested it. We're getting that. Tick. Happy go live. Amongst other yeah. things. Yeah, amongst lots of other things. Um, but that actually links really well to what I was going to say before I interrupted you, um, Paul, is is that uh, from what I'm hearing you both say, it's like temp templates are a great starting point. And because um, obviously SP Conquer and EY are great experts in implementation, you've got lots of examples of best in practice or best in class to help with those templates as a starting point. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, I mean, so if we, if we talk specifically about um, SAP Concur and implementations that we do there, we have um, an extended template set of tools as well as leveraging the standard materials that Concur provides. So when I talk about maturity of a product and a level of consistency, even though there is a regular update to the product, um, certain things have not changed in many, many years. So at the beginning, when I did my introduction, I did say I was an ex-concurrent. Um, I know that there's a, there's a certain set of FAR formats that the system requires, uh, both inbound and that it produces outbound, that have not changed a great deal. They've been expanded, but they haven't changed a great deal from, from, from my days. Um, so that just makes it a lot easier especially and gives confidence to clients that should an update come along, they know that certain things that are going to be critical to them, such as the integration of SAP Concur into their HR or their finance system, isn't going to change unless they make a fundamental change in their HR or ERP platform. And even then, that transition, they already know what they're going to expect so that they can rebuild the relevant integration that they need to support this other system. Um, so the, the, the template documents have been, you know, they're, they're just really critical. And, and so for us, we've expanded a certain set of documents um, beyond what I've seen um, other partners use. Um, but again, we leverage what's already been in, invented and being utilized because, you know, why should we go and reinvent the wheel? And therefore, yeah. our implementation focuses on a much more holistic approach to the implementation itself, including the change management and user training, the, the whole employee experience and getting those business requirements correct up front, as well as helping an organization transform their process to maybe simplify it or adapt to um, the changing times or, or specific requirements. Um, so, for example, a lot more clients are now thinking about pre-trip approval more than they had done yep. previously. So that's something we need to look at designing and looking at how do they want to manage that 
pre-trip approval process. Yeah, yeah. Far too many things to think about um, as things change, but um, really, really good points. Thank you, Paul. Um, right, I think we're, we're coming to the end of our conversation, sadly. Um, lots, so much has been covered by you both. Um, thank you. But before we do sign off, um, Gogan, can I come to you first? Um, mm -hmm. can, you, can you give our listeners your top two or three uh, top tips for them to consider when looking at a new implementation? What, what would you want them to leave this podcast thinking? Um, I think when looking at a new implementation, there's probably a couple of things um, uh, which will be mentioned um, in the session today. And the biggest thing for me would be know who you're implementing for, the, the users, understanding what the users want from your system. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that that's where the biggest impact is going to be. Um, so research, 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 making sure that you have um, all that information and also don't underestimate the time and effort. Um, so, you know, when you're looking at a, a a new vendor is, you know, understand what they can give you and what you need from them um, and whether you have the time and resources to support it in that way. Um, so those probably will be my top two. Um, and during the implementation as well, um, or during that process is identify a champion. Right. Um, so one of the key things we say um, when, when we're implementing with our customers is identify that champion um, that can follow through with that implementation um, to the mm -hmm. end result, uh, somebody that can push it out to the business, but also regroup your project team back to that single goal. Right. All makes sense. Thank you, Gogan. Um, Paul, anything to add? Uh, so I think... As Gogan said, employee experience is going to be key. Um, for me, I'd say it's a great opportunity for businesses to start a digital transformation journey um, and to look at simplifying out some pro complexities in their processes um, and also to be able to move to a more lean um it environment potentially leveraging a lot more cloud but obviously um being conscious of the security elements and making sure that when they're selecting a solution that it meets the the standards and is always evolving as the standards change in, in security of the data and then selecting um an implementation partner if they don't have the resources or expertise internally who can support them with that journey as well as covering some of the other areas that expand just beyond the solution, because you'll, you'll be surprised at how many things, even though you might be implementing a particular system, how many things may be impacted in other parts of the business through the deployment of a singular solution. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Some brilliant advice um, from you, from you both. Um, thank you, Paul and Gogan. And, that that brings us up to time i'm afraid um so we've covered so much ground and i hope the listeners um uh learned a lot from that um so thank you everyone um that concludes the latest sap conquer conversations podcast on the topic of implementation thank you both very much thank you thank you Annie.